We began our worship service this morning with the hymn, Seek Ye First. This hymn was written in 1971 by Karen Lafferty following a Bible study at her church on the verse Matthew 6, which says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. These are Jesus' own words, part of the Sermon on the Mount. And they're his own words of explanation why we should not worry. He tells you that you shouldn't worry about having your needs met. God loves you and knows what you need. And when you seek after him, all these things will be taken care of. That's his promise. Now, how wonderful is it to know that God has you covered when you seek him? But what does it mean to seek the Lord? Well, it means to seek or pursue his presence. And you may think, but aren't we always in his presence? We are, after all, children of an omnipresent God, which is absolutely true. So to answer this question, the answer is yes, absolutely, you're always in his presence. God is omnipresent, therefore always near you. His power and his glory are ever present in sustaining and overseeing all things. He has also promised to always be with you. Remember Jesus' own words from the Great Commission, which end with the reassuring statement, Behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. So again, why would we need to, hold to be told to seek a God that has promised to always be with us? It's your awareness and consideration of God's presence that is fleeting. And this is because of personal choices that we will make. When we pursue other things, things that are contrary to his will, when we pursue things that we allow to take up the space in our lives, heart and mind that we should be occupied by him, when we sin, we are not pursuing the presence of God. These become a barrier to his presence in our lives. That is why Psalms 105.4 reminds us to seek the Lord, seek his presence continually. Scripture defines the act of continually seeking as a setting of the mind and of the heart on God. Setting your mind and your heart on God. And it's a conscious focus of our mind's attention and our heart's affection on God. And because it is a conscious choice, that means it is a choice. A choice that, that God both encourages you to make and blesses you for doing so. So how do we seek his presence? Well, we know him. And we know him by studying his word and learning about the character of God. We seek him by talking to him, and we do that through prayer. We seek him by listening to him, by focusing your heart and mind on him, and hearing what he has you say to say to you, or the promptings he places in your heart. We seek him by recognizing his presence and work in others. And we seek him by recognizing his working in the world. Now, I, I titled this morning's message, What You Chasing, because I thought it sounded a little too, uh, it sounded a little more relatable and, and inviting them to say, what does thou seeketh, right? <laughs> what, what are you chasing? What are you chasing? The truth is there are things that distract us from proper focus. During this past Lenten season, we dove deep into these during the message series, Making Room. These are available on the Golden Beach podcast still. But this morning, I'm going to share a few stories of people who became distracted in their pursuits. And these are not bad people. Okay, So these are relatable stories. The first is King Saul. Now, this is not Saul who became Paul. This is King Saul. And we find the story of, of Saul beginning in 1 Samuel. 
And beginning at chapter nine, this is how the Bible describes Saul. It says, there was a Benjamite, Benjamite, a man of standing whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becherath, the son of Aphiah of Benjamin. So this, this is how the Old Testament worked. They usually established the, the family order and the lineage. Now he said, Kish had a son named Saul. And he says, Saul was a handsome young man as there could be found in Israel. And he was a head taller than anyone else. Now, I don't know what it is, but if there's a tall person that's attractive, they immediately, you know, get your attention, don't they? Right? These are, these are leadership. This, this man, Saul, stood out in a crowd. Now, Samuel was instructed by God to anoint Saul. Okay? And Saul became a very powerful and admired king, and he conquered many people. And he was favored by God. And during his reign, a young man by the name of David enters his service. And David himself gains favor and fame by people by, by slaying the Philistine champion that you know by the name of Goliath. And David continued in his service to Saul in his courts and on the battlefield. We know the story of, of David playing the harp, and that was very soothing to a troubled Saul, as you see in these pictures. And, and David found favor with Saul. Well, Saul became very jealous and turn his focus from God, who had blessed him and given him all this and his rule. And he pursued David with the intent of killing him. In fact, there's many stories of, of him literally throwing a spear, as this picture indicates, at David and pursuing him into other lands. The story is a wonderful one, and, and we'll, you can pick that up in First and Second Samuel. But at some point, Saul eventually loses the favor of God and is himself killed. Now, David, David was anointed king of Israel. We kind of see, oh, I got the slide backwards, but David was then anointed the king of Israel by Samuel and became a wonderful king. Now, the problem with David, as you know, is that he wasn't perfect. Even though the Bible described him as a man after God's own heart, it's 1 Samuel 13, 14. Even though he was a man after God's own heart, he was not perfect. While we know that he loved God and pursued him, he also had a share of faulty decision-making. The Old Testament books of 1 and 2 Samuel tell a story, which includes his pursuit of a married woman. And in an effort to cover up the sin, he has her husband killed. Now David re did regain his focus. And many of the psalms we read and the sing hymns are based on are attributed to him and his love and appreciation for God. And it isn't just beauty and lust that can distract you towards pursuing the wrong thing. As we saw with King Saul, it can be jealousy. If I said the name Manfred von Richthofen, anybody? You'll recognize him. He went by a more famous nickname, the Red Baron. But not a biblical character, but a historical one, and he proves my point. But during World War I, Richthofen shot down 80 enemy aircraft. Now, that was far more than any other pilot. And he was called the Red Baron because his airplane flew this bright red paint on it. But on April 12, 1918, Richthofen was chasing after a Canadian fighter pilot, and in the chase, flew his red airplane too far into enemy territory and was shot down. Eyewitnesses said the Red Baron had been flying way too low and was probably so mentally involved in chasing after the other pilot that he never realized he'd flown into the enemy's airspace, which cost him his life. 
So think about that. Great at what he was doing, but became so narrowly focused. And another story talks about is actually the pilot he was pursuing had, had shot at his brother, Vic Richthofen's brother. And out of anger and rage, he pursued him and, and found himself trapped far from home. Now, I have an affinity for aviation, and if you've ever seen either the U.S. Air Force or U.S. Navy flight demonstration teams, you can understand this next story a little better. And although I'm a little partial to the Navy since my father was a part of the Naval Flight Crew, the story is about the Air Force Thunderbirds, also wonderful people. This highly skilled pilots are some of the best in the branch, and they fly their F-15 Falcons in precariously close proximity with each other as they perform loops and rolls and all kinds of aerial feats. Here's a view from the cockpit of, of the slot pilot. They are literally feet from each other's wings. One more. And this is what they see while they're flying. And as you can see, they're very close. The pilots all look at the other planes for spacing, right? They're looking at where they are in relationship to that plane in front of them or next to them. In fact, it's the lead plane that guides the group through most of the maneuvers. So keep this in mind as I share this story. This is from the Wikipedia account of an accident. So the Thunderbirds were practicing for performance. Now, four T-38As, and if you're around Whiteman, you'll see the T-38 Talons all the time. They're trainer aircraft now, and they were the, unfortunately, they were the MiGs in Top Gun, which was a big flaw with the movie. I digress. But anyway, four T-38s, numbers one through four, were comprising the basic diamond formation. This is the one you always see, right? The four flying really tight, really close. So that's probably what the, the guy in the fourth position saw. They were flying in this position. They hit the desert floor almost simultaneously. The pilots were practicing the four-plane line abreast loop in which the aircraft climb in side-by-side -side formation several thousand feet, pull over in a slow inside loop, and descend to, at more than 400 miles per hour. The planes were meant to level off at about 100 feet. Yikes. Instead, the formation struck the ground at high speed, and all four pilots died instantly. Now, initial speculation was the accident may have been due to pilot error, that the leader might have misjudged his altitude or speed, and the other three pilots repeated the error. However, the Air Force concluded that the crash was due to a jam stabilizer in the lead jet, so we just couldn't, couldn't get the plane to turn. And the other pilots, in accordance with their training, did not break formation, and they literally flew all into the ground. On a much lighter note, I want to tell you the story of Behan Mutlu. The story is from the Associated Press. In a scene worthy of comedy sketch, a Turkish man joined a search party for a missing person, not realizing the person they were searching for was actually him. Here's what the story says. Behan Mutlu, 51, went drinking with a friend in a forest. Okay, there's, there, now you know it's already off to a bad start. Went drinking with a friend in a forest in the town of Enigol, northwest Turkey, late on Tuesday. His wife reported him missing after he did not return home and sure heard he'd walked away from his friend drunk. Police and rescue teams were called to find Mutlu, who had gone to sleep in a house in the forest. He came across members the next morning when he woke up. He came across members of the search party and decided he was going to help them find the missing person. He realized he was the focus of the search when they began calling his name. After a while, they said they were looking for Behan Mutlu, and, and he said, I broke into a cold sweat when I heard my own name. I told them I am Behan Mutlu, but they continued to search because they didn't believe him. Mutlu said he was a part of the search team for more than half an hour. One more. Let me, let me tie all these stories together. 
many Christians are the same way. We, we get caught up in chasing after the things of the world. And before we know it, we find ourselves in enemy territory or far from home. Or like Saul, we, we become jealous of what others have and we pursue those things or maybe even those people. Like David, we get lured into what the Bible calls sins of the flesh and pursue people or situations that are far from God's will. Or like the Red Baron, we're, we're way too deep in enemy territory and we get shot down spiritually. Or like the pilots in the formation, we may live our lives with our eyes on the crowd around us and not be willing or able to see the dangers ahead. Always know that you are following a trustworthy leader, whether it's the pulpit or, or anything you do. And I've heard it say this, and this is good advice, is never follow anyone further than they follow God. Never follow anyone further than they follow God. Maybe we're like Behan Mutlu. We, we may be seeking the lost when it is us that has wandered off. This one is subtle, but a real danger for us as Christians because we want to save the world. We want to fulfill Jesus's mission and ministry. But somehow within us, we, we've got some, some sins or things that we need to take care of. And the Bible warns us not to chase things of the world and the sins that so easily destroy our lives. In fact, the Bible tells us to run. It says flee. This is the one thing. We stand up to the devil and we stand up. There are certain things that the Bible clearly says flee this stuff. In 2 Timothy 2.22, the apostle Paul warns, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And along, so right? In, in a part of a group that's doing the same. In Peter 5, 8, you're familiar with this warning. Satan is just waiting for us to be vulnerable to his attacks at the moment we're not expecting it. He says, be of sober spirit, right? Just be alert, be on guard. Don't be numbed by anything. It says your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now that's a powerful image, but it's way often more subtle than that. So don't fly in enemy territory. Don't even give your flesh and Satan an opportunity to attack and destroy your life. Make no provision for the flesh. That's the advice of scripture. We often think, well, it's not going to hurt if I do this one more time or I know this isn't pleasing to God but I enjoy it so what's the worst can happen so I say check yourself it is said that you what you spend your money on reveals your value what you spend your time on reveals your priorities check yourself everywhere your prayers may even reveal your pursuit I found this it's a comic but it's it's it says I'm man praying into the clouds he says I'm not sure if these are getting through as it is super cloudy, and I didn't win the lottery yesterday, but, but I'll try again. That's not how it works. It's a little lighthearted, but come on. We, I've prayed for the lottery before, right? I have. There are things we want, and that's, that's okay. Actually, the prayer of Jabez says, ask me. You know, Jabez gave this very honest prayer, and he says, Lord, increase my territory, Right? And he asked for health and, and that, and it's okay to ask for these things, but be aware that the things that you're asking for may reveal some things that you think are important. If I'm praying for the lottery and I'm not praying for other people, if I'm praying only for something for myself, I'm not praying for some other things, uh, or, or the things that I'm praying for myself are very superficial, help me get this job, not Lord, help me be a better person, a better husband, a better spouse. 
that's revealing a little bit about myself. And praying for others is absolutely appropriate. We do that on Sunday morning. We should do it throughout the week. I, I hope you're like me and, and take notes on the back of your bulletin and you know, remember Lynn Tatlow tomorrow, right? And remember some of these things that are happening this week um, as, as people have treatments and, and doctor's appointments and such. But pray for God's guidance, his protection, and for his will to be done, right? When Jesus was asked, how should we pray? Jesus, his own words, gave us the model prayer. He said, pray like this. And we pray it each week out loud here, right? Think about not the word for word what the the Lord's prayer is, but what it signifies. What is it saying in each aspect, right? And then in your will, not mine be done. Don't lead me into temptation. Deliver me. Forgive others as I've been forgiven. Now, if all this is true about what you say and what you think and what you pray about and talk about and invest in, if that reveals your heart, think about this. What does that reveal about God? What does God think is of value? What does he think is a priority? And what does he love? And the answer to all three of those is the same. It's you. It's you. He values you. He sent his son to redeem you. He makes you a priority and he loves you unconditionally. So stop chasing after the wrong things and focus on chasing after God. Now, don't think I'll get my life straight one day, right? You've heard it said if, if, if we waited till we had it all together, no one would ever be in church. No one would be here. But making the right decisions and choices is critical. Choose to pursue God. He's already there. Choose to focus on his presence. And let me share this one piece of good news. The one thing worth chasing in this world, in this life, is the one thing that you never need to chase because it's right there. In fact, he's pursuing you. It is with his patience and love and understanding that when you make these mistakes, when Saul and Paul made these mistakes, he was right there. He was right there. Now Saul didn't turn back from his ways, but David certainly did. And David went on to do many wonderful things, including a lineage that gave us Jesus Christ, our Savior. Isaiah 55, 6 tells us, he says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. That's now. And Deuteronomy 4.29 promises this. You will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. Seek him and you will receive rest and peace. Seek him and you will live a life abundantly. Seek him and you will find strength for whatever it is you're facing. Seek him and find joy despite your circumstances. Seek him and find wisdom and understanding. Seek him and find hope. Seek him first and all these things will be added to you. Those are the lyrics of the hymn and those are the promises of God. Let's pray. Father God, I can pray confidently that you hear me and I can pray confidently that everyone hearing this has sinned. And Lord, you pursue us nonetheless. 
You are patient and kind, and you will wait for us to come to salvation and to turn to you. Lord, we thank you for making that possible through the gift of your son, the graciousness of your heart, and the unconditional nature of your love. Father, we've seen it throughout Bible and we've seen it throughout history, how mankind has, has struggled and tried to do things on their own and, and just set aside the covenant that was made long ago with you to make you our one true God, which you are. Yet time after time you forgive us because that's how much you love us and you tell us to do the same to each other. Grace upon grace, grace upon grace. Lord, keep it coming because we need it, every one of us. Lord, forgive us when we pursue other things. Lord, forgive us when we forget that you are not with us every moment and that all it takes is just to turn towards you and say, God, I need you. And hear you say, son, daughter, I am here. Fathers, we take communion here in just a few moments on this World Communion Sunday. We know that your children throughout the world are doing the same thing. We're taking time to worship you in this way and we are taking time to check ourselves. And here's the most important part, to forgive ourselves just as you've forgiven us so that we are all welcome to this table. And we thank you for that miraculous gift. In your son's name we pray, amen.